There's only two things that delivering software guarantees you, right? And one is more software and the other is technical debt, right? Those are the only two things you're guaranteed. Right, right. right. Value, right? Does anybody want this? Will anybody right. pay for it? Will they try it? Will they use it? Will they use it again? Will they pay you for it? Will they tell a friend? Will they continue to pay you for it? Like these are the kinds of things that tell us that we've delivered value. If you're a tech leader looking to learn today's best practices for leading high-functioning teams, you're in the right spot. In each episode, we learn from today's top tech leaders as they share their successes, their failures, and their lessons learned along the way. I'm Debbie Madden, and this is the Scaling Tech Podcast, your blueprint for scaling tech teams. Let's dive in. Hey guys, today I'm here with an old friend, uh, Jeff Gottfeld. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Hi, Debbie. Nice to be here. Thanks for being here. Um, so Jeff is many things, among them uh, the co-author of one of my favorite books, Lean UX, and Sense and Respond, and a forthcoming book on OKRs. Uh, today, Jeff works as a keynote speaker, a trainer, a coach with large organizations, helping them build better products and to build the cultures that build better products, uh, both very important things. Um, and today we get to talk with Jeff about OKRs, objectives, and key results, something that I know many tech leaders um, have used and are iterating towards getting better at year after year, quarter after quarter. Um, what I didn't realize until I did some research was OKRs have actually been around since the 50s. And yeah. Peter Drucker is kind of like the father, right? Uh, like the OG here. Like he invented management by objectives, then it made its way to Intel, and then it made its way to Google. So yeah. while Google is kind of credited as getting OKRs out there, it was actually, you know, um, decades before that when folks started really kind of managing through these key results that we use today. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what I really want, I'm hoping to get from you today is you talk to teams all the time about OKRs. I've watched many of your posts online, many of your, your talks, um, clips of your talks. I want to know, like, really what I want to get to is, like, what are the mistakes people make and what can we do to... Uh, avoid those mistakes. But first, like, do you have any sense, like, what, like, how many companies are using them? Like, is everybody using them? Or are they still fairly new? Like, I know Stride's been using them for a few years, but we started with something else and switched to OKRs. Like, what percentage of companies you think are kind of on the bandwagon? Yeah, I don't, like, I don't have an exact number, but it feels like, you know, these days, particularly in a public setting, that they're, the companies that aren't doing it or that haven't tried it at least are the sort of the odd person out in that. Okay. It's, it's a lot It's a lot like Agile in this case, right? right. If you're in a room right. full of people, how many of you are doing Agile? Like 100% of the hands would go up. I think in this particular case, if you were to ask in, in any kind of random room of techies, how many of you are doing OKRs or at least have tried them, I guess 80% at least have given it a shot. I think a lot of folks like with Agile have failed, but this is definitely, and, and this is not doing me any favors, but this is definitely the, the flavor of the, of the moment when it comes to, you know, management ideas. Yeah. And, and so, um, I would, I would mimic that with what I've seen. I talked to tons of CTOs and chief product officers and CEOs and OKRs are coming up almost always. And I would say probably about 80% of the time. And I love the parallel to agile where it's like, all right, just because you've done it for one year or one quarter doesn't mean that you really understand it and really understand it in your organization. How many ought you have? How ought you trickle it down? Right. And 
what's good enough for you. Um, right. I, I talk to people about that all the time. Like how agile is agile enough, right? What's good enough for OKRs. Yeah. And so what's, what's like, how do you see people trip over our shows? Um, uh, like what's your number one, two and three things where you're like, Oh, if I had a nickel, <laughs> like how yeah. would I help people through that? So, so there's, there's a couple of things here. I think, I think that the number one, so, so the, the most, the most critical change, the kind of mindset shift that has to happen in organizations for OKRs to succeed. And by far, I think the hardest thing to grasp for organizations is this idea of managing the outcomes, that your key results mm -hmm. have to be outcomes. There are books out there, very popular books, that don't uh, address this as uh, strictly as I do. Um, but I believe, so, I believe that if, if your key result is anything other than an outcome, and the only other thing it typically is is an output, output right? right um, then we really haven't changed anything. The change is your key results are outcomes. And to be clear, outcomes are measures of human behavior and hopefully the humans who are consuming whatever it is that you make. And so for organizations, this becomes, the, this is the, the critical thing that makes this different. And this is the, the, the thing that makes this hard. Um, and so that's the number one thing is, is to get folks out of this mindset that, you know, if our objective, our objective is qualitative and aspirational and inspirational and, and you know, aggressive and time bound, right? So mm -hmm. we want to be the, the number one uh, e-commerce destination for, um, I don't know, writing supplies sure. in the United States <laughs> or, or what, whatever it is, right? That's, yeah. that's what we want to be. We want to be the, like, that's a, that's an aggressive, qualitative, like, what does number one mean, right? And right. the key results, you know, should be things like, um, you know, the percentage of repeat shoppers, the average order value, um, you know, the maybe, maybe LTV of a lifetime value of a customer or something like that, or customer acquisition metrics. But those are all measures of, of human behavior that tell you whether or not you're the number one, you know, writing implementation e-commerce site in the U.S. Um, what people tend to do, though, and, and, and this is where it gets, this is the first thing, the first place where it gets hard is they'll say things like, well, we'll be the number one, you know, online e-commerce destination for writing implementation, writing implements when um, we ship the new website. Right, or right. When, we, when we've built right. a mobile app or we've got the new call centers online or whatever. Right. And the, the assumption there, and it's an assumption baked in a hundred years of management theory, is that the making of a thing necessarily uh, it, it indicates value right. in, you know, delivered to the market. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, when, when we were manufacturing things, when, we, when you're manufacturing a physical product, that makes sense. Like I made a car. So, and, and that's, you know, maybe even somebody even bought the car. Then I've delivered right. value to the market, but the delivery of software doesn't indicate. You know, the 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 line I've been using forever is that there's only two things that delivering software guarantees you, right? And one is more software, and the other is technical debt. Right? Those are the only two things you're guaranteed. Right. Like right. Value. Right. Does anybody want this? Will anybody right. pay for it? Will they try it? Will they use it? Will they use it again? Will they pay you for it? Will they tell a friend? Will they continue to pay you for it? Like these are the kinds of things that tell us that we've delivered value. And because we live in a continuous software world, um, we, you know, the, the delivery of value, the delivery of software should be, it's not yet in all organizations, but generally speaking, it's a non-event. Right. right. It's, it's, I mean, 
Right. Um, and I think that's interesting because teams spend so much time and money, they pour their cards and to then say it should be a non-event is kind of like, like it's, it's hard wrenching, but what, what you're saying is, you know, um, if you, if you kind of state it in another way, um, you know, is it possible to deliver the software and also nobody uses your product? Yes. yes. 100%. Right, exactly. And <laughs> I think the that's time. it, right? And I think that's the kind of, that helps me gain clarity around when I'm, when I'm creating key results. Like if I, if I tried to kind of pressure test them against like, okay, if I do this thing and the real thing that I want is, is there, there is no direct correlation then maybe the the key result is wrong. Maybe it's not outcome driven. Yeah. Right. So, I get it. What are you thinking? Look, I mean, th there's, you know, when I started working professionally, we worked on something for nine months or twelve months or eighteen months. Yeah. Before we shipped anything, you know, I worked at America Online where we literally had to print things on CDs like mm -hmm. fifteen million at a time, and so yeah. Uh, and then we would ship it, and then we'd wait. Right? Did we ship anything of value? You know, did it work? And so, because we we spent so much time on it, and because it was the next thing was like, hey, now now we will print fifteen million copies of these things and send them in the mail to everybody. We did have a party. It was not a non-event. Like, right. We got a T-shirt. Right. You know that had the name of the project it. on yeah. it. You know, and and we had a real big party. Especially in AOL's heyday, the parties were very nice. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, but the reality is we didn't know if we delivered any value today. I mean, look, the, the, the statistic that we wrote about in Sense and Response, so Sense and Response was published in 2017, uh, which means we did our research in 2015 and 2016. Okay. The statistic we published in Sense and Response said that Amazon pushes code to production every 11.6 seconds. Right. Right. Today, that stat is every second, right? So right. seven, eight years later, it's every exactly. second. Right. So, so, so the delivery of software is a non-event. Yeah, they're not getting a t-shirt every second, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, not, I'm not having a party every second. It's, it's absolutely impossible. Right. And so, and so if the delivery of the thing is not the measure of success anymore because we can deliver continuously, we can deliver every day, every hour, every minute, every second in some extreme cases, right? Then the measure of success has to be something else. And it has to be, did we actually meaningfully and in a positive way impact the lives of the people who consume the thing that we make. And so this is this is the first thing. So most most organizations uh, incentivize velocity or delivery of delivery of software, right? Output. Yeah. Um, no, many of the organizations I work with, you know, managed task list, like how much how right. much of your, how many of your tasks did you complete? Um, and and the incentive, the incentive structures are built around that, and so it becomes uh, this. This is a, it's a simple change that has a lot of rippling effects. But let me yeah. let me ask you, um, or kind of um, ask you if it's ever okay to do an output-driven key result, given what you've just said. And here's my here. This is a selfish question. So um, at Stride, we use key results, and um, all but one are outcome driven mm -hmm. and we have one that is um we know that it's output driven and that is that we will um create two blog posts a week yeah and the reason why we explicitly called this one out is because 
we the the value to us was creating the muscle of the organization, yeah. creating this content that we then hope will be valuable once we share it. Um, and so what we're doing is we're creating for one quarter this intentional output driven metric, and then once we create that that muscle and have some muscle memory, then we're going to then shift to an outcome driven. But we did explicitly call it out. But interestingly enough, we have had so much debate internally because we have, you know, um, uh, drank the outcome Kool-Aid, if you will, but yet and still we kind of, we kind of just did it. And I, and I'm wondering if you think that was a mistake. I mean, look, I'm not going to say it's a mistake, right? Cause I don't think, I don't think people make mistakes mistake here. <laughs> no, 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 it's not like, I don't think it's a mistake, but I think you're right. It's an output. Like, let's be super right. clear. It's a it tactic. Why not exactly. make it three blog posts or one blog? Like right. How many blog posts is enough? Right. No, I and I think, right. And, right. And, and, so, and so the question, the question that I would tend to ask is what do you hope people will be doing differently um, after they, after they've consumed your blog posts? Right? right. And, and what you're saying is, look, right now, I'm not actually concerned about, well, you didn't say this, but I'm so, but like the goal isn't readership. It's the muscle to, to, to kind of build this, this, to build this kind of uh, discipline and the skill right. inside for only, the for only a short while, right? And yeah. then, and then, and, and again, I, I understand what you're saying. So it's a good, it's a kind of a good takeaway. It's like, all right, if the, these, the, this kind of highlights the, the issue with output driven, like why two, why not one, why not four, yeah. why? Because yeah. we have no idea what, right. the, what value one widget, if you will, is going to create. Right. And so, um, and so, and so, yeah, that, that really kind of helps put the kind of, um, tidyance together. And again, like I feel kind of confident that the output key result is, is, um, short lived and then the need to very quickly switch to the, the outcome driven key results so that we can really then go back and adjust. Yeah. Right. Because it's not really the blog post that we want. It's the. The, the readership, the, the, the readership rates, yeah. those things that we will define. So, okay, all right, yeah. that that's a helpful conversation. Um, so, but, what but it, hi it highlights an interesting, an interesting thing that comes up a lot. I think is kind of a, a common anti-pattern is that folks say, "Oh, key results a number, right? Some there's a number in there, two blog posts." Right? That sounds great. And right. It sounds like you're doing something. It sounds like oh, it's interesting behavior. Right, like right. someone, some human, assuming not Chat GPT, is writing the blog posts. Right. right. And so and so it feels like human behavior, but but it's not. It's actually it's it's an action that you're taking in in order to drive hopefully some meaningful behavior with your users. I'll give you an example. Like I, I did an OKR workshop. This is years ago now with um, a company called Metro. Now they're they're a, a European company based in Dusseldorf, um, and they're in grocery stores and supplying of grocery stores and lots of other two hundred thousand person company, right? And I did a I did a half day OKR workshop with the C suite, which was fascinating. Okay. And you know they were talking about how um, one thing they were trying to create was an increase in uh, year over year turnover per store. Which is which is a nice uh, outcome, yeah. And so one of the other outcomes that they had put in there as a key result was eighty percent of the products on our shelves will be our brand rather than okay. external branded products. Okay, interesting. 
that's okay. not an outcome. Right. No. It, it, it so- feels like it sounds like an sounds outcome. Great. It's even got a percentage, which <laughs> right. is what I advocate for. Sounds great. Right. It sounds amazing. Yeah. But it's a tactic. It's it's it, an output. It's a feature of the store, right? The right. feature of the store is that 80% of the products are Metro branded products, right? The outcome is do people buy more Metro branded products or would they prefer sort of third party brands in there and as as measured by return shoppers, average order value, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like actual customer behaviors, right? And so a lot of organizations are like, look, it's a number and it measures some kind of yeah. behavior that somebody did, but it's always like, is it, a, is it a behavior of the people that you're serving? I think is a good, is a good uh, question. Like what will your customers right. be doing differently if, you know, if you achieve the objective is a great way to think about it. That's a great, that's a really great question. And so are you saying, let's say um, a team will create their, their annual, their quarterly key results, really kind of what I just heard you say is like for every single key result, you kind of want to ask that question, right? Yeah. Like, okay, when we achieve this thing, what will our customers be doing differently? Mm-hmm. And if you cannot answer that, or if you have someone who's kind of, um, their job it is to like listen for like the 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 inconsistencies or the find the missing link and if you can't you can't really link it if you can't honestly truly link it yeah um then you then you're then maybe try again well the answer is verbs it's verbs versus nouns yeah right? okay like, what yeah. would people yeah. be doing differently if we achieve the objective mobile app <laughs> that's just, <laughs> just nonsense right it doesn't make any it's- sense Right, like yes, it, like they will. You know, fifty percent of purchases will come through the mobile channel. All right, super cool. Like that's a fundamentally different thing, right? And so, verbs, and so okay, verbs versus nouns. I got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's 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 a really big takeaway. Um, and a nice. I, I the reason why I'm digging in here is because you know uh, everyone's busy, and we think we're doing a good job. We get, we get our OKRs and we kind of just want to get to doing it. We got, we're like, all right, we did our strategy. We're going to put in a small thing of measurables. We put a number on it. Great. Tybo and move on. Yeah. And I'm trying to dig into, you know, avoiding the six, 12 months later where, where teams go, I thought we set the things. Why aren't the things happening? We, we, set, we set them. Like yeah. we set them and maybe we achieved them. Why did we not get the results? And so, if you can and really kind of poke holes up front, okay, verbs, verbs versus nouns. Yeah. Great. That's an easy kind of mental mindset for everyone in the room to come to. And then all it takes one person to say, I think this one's not quite where it is. So, all right, that's great. So what else um, do teams get wrong most often? What's your kind of like uh, one, uh, let's, let's do like one or two more, um, kind of big things that yeah. you see most often. So, look. So, a lot of organizations feel like the 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 bulk of the work is is writing a syntactically correct and strategically right. relevant key result. Right. Yeah, look, that's not that's not super difficult, but it does take a couple of of practice runs okay. to get not only well written OKRs, but ones that actually make sense. Like, will the KRs match the O's? Right. right, and then and then it, it leads and it kind of supports the product strategy or the co- the company strategy, which is great. But to your point, they're like, okay, great. Now let's tie that up. We're done with that. Let's get to work, right? And what generally happens is, well, we already have a backlog of work. Right. We have a pile of it over there, so right. we start doing it, 
right? And and so and so what what either happens is they start doing the backlog of work and ignore the OKRs, mm-hmm. right? Well, because we've got that backlog of work. Or the other anti-pattern that I see a lot is that they will write OKRs that match the existing backlog of work, right? So sort of reverse engineering the OKRs to match the work you're already planning on doing so that we don't have to change anything, right? Well, well that's, that's, I've seen this so many times and one cause I've seen, I don't know if you've seen it too, is that like we already have enough on our plate. Yeah. And so people, whether it's consciously or subconsciously sound, I'm not adding anything else. So either you can have your, you know, number and I'm not going to pay attention to it. Or if you're making me create a number, I'm just going to pull it out from what I'm already doing. Because what I'm telling you is tomorrow, I'm just going to go back to doing the thing that I was doing yesterday. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I've, I've seen that. And so it's interesting that you've seen that as well. So what, how to, how to resolve that without making the people like because you're at like if you want a key result you're asking teams to then either stop doing something start doing something how how do you rectify um so this is where it gets this is where it gets like this is where the change actually happens and this is why it gets hard because we don't want to change right um so so for example right so first of all um the f- the most important thing that you can do once you've got your OKRs written is to then try. So the way that the way that I think about it is that your OKRs, especially your KRs, but all all the whole thing, they kind of sit on top of your backlog as a filter. Okay. And so now we're going to take everything yeah. that we had planned on doing. Now we've got we've got new goals. We've got we've got OKRs, right? Okay. So now everything that we planned on doing will it pass through the filter? Right? Does it help? Do we, do we believe it'll help us achieve our objective right. and our key results? If the answer is yes. Then it makes it through. And if the answer is no, it goes into the not now bucket, right? And and to me, that's kind of how I think about core values as well. So it's 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 another filter, right? The, the whole point of core values, I, I kind of think of them as as guardrails that kind of if you're bumping up against the guardrail, yeah. you might want to question. And and that's a very similar mindset to a filter. And so what if um what if too much or too little? pass through the filter, right? Because it's kind of like, okay, if, if what if like nothing passes through and then, and then yeah. you know, well, someone told me I needed to do this thing. Yeah. And well, so then, it must be the right thing. <laughs> and so this is sort of the third biggest, and, and this is, I think this is huge, um, is that w- when we set goals with OKRs, we are explicitly expecting or, or demanding of our teams, whether, whether we actually say to them or not, we shouldn't say to them, we're, we're, we're expecting them to do product discovery mm. because it's, this is a, like traditionally, right? It's team, go build this thing, right? Make it mm-hmm. red and finish it by Friday. Right. Like, okay, cool. We know how to do that. Right. Build the thing. We'll make it red. We'll get done by Friday. No problem, boss, right? Client or whatever, right? When we set goals as OKRs, we're not telling them what to make anymore, mm-hmm. right? We're saying, we're saying get 50% of the revenue to come through the mobile channel. Right. There is an infinite combination of code copy and design, value proposition, pricing strategy, whatever it is, right, that will deliver that behavior. And the team is inevitably is is unlikely to nail it out of the gate. And so there's a there's there should be an expectation that the team is going to do discovery work, learning work, experimentation, research, lean UX, 
whatever you want to call it, right? There's a thousand different names, design thinking, right? Lean startup. It's, it's, it's all basically the same idea is that we are going to make a series of assumptions about what we believe will deliver this behavior. And we are going to test those assumptions. We're going to right. form hypotheses from those assumptions and we're going to test them. And if our tests reveal that this idea doesn't move the needle in the direction that we decided is important and, and the focus for us, then we are going to discard that, you know, kill pivot uh, and probably not persevere. Right. right in my right. cases. That, that's so interesting. Um, so Stride um, helps companies with product discovery all the time. And we tie them, the discoveries, to OKRs, and we make them brief on purpose because we have to get to the work of doing the work, but we do try to help companies pause. Now, the way you've described it, though, is very interesting because you said, I don't think you used these words, but what I heard was like, okay, there is this inherent expectation that team will just know to do this. Yeah. But like, what if they don't, or what if they don't have time, or what if they feel they already know it? Like to, to me, immediately, I'm going, well, there's so many reasons. As if I'm um, a, um, even if I'm a product manager, or if I'm a scrum master, if I'm a software engineer, there's a million reasons why I can convince myself that I don't need to pause to do this discovery because I don't have time. I already know it. I got this. You know, yeah. like I can, I yeah. can see, I can see that, like I could see that struggle. Um, and so it's, I think it's really important for folks that aren't on the teams doing the work to really understand why it's important to give teams the, um, the space and the autonomy to really take that time, yeah, not a year, maybe a couple of weeks to really discover and, um, and really identify how, which of the infinite solutions you're going to do or. This is what I think I see is a big problem often um, saying, you know, we are going to pivot. We are going to kill this idea. We are not going to do this idea post-discovery because um, that's also very scary. Yeah. And so if you have 90 days to achieve a key result, if it's a quarterly key result, now we're saying also you need to figure out how are you going to get from A to B if you want to get from A to B. Um, if you can, I mean, look, so, yeah. some of the learning, like we, we talk a lot about the learning of kill, pivot, persevere, feature, like feature specific, um, you know, is this the right feature? Is this the right design? Is this the right implementation right. strategy? Um, but the learning also encompasses, are we chasing the right goal? Is this the right behavior change? Is it realistic? Is our number realistic, right? Is, is 50% retention rate feasible? in our industry, right? I just wrote this case study on my blog, which is fascinating to me, um, about Fender guitars. I was, and I was reading about Fender guitars. Um, Fender guitars gets a million new customers every year uh, in English speaking countries, just in English speaking countries, right? Of those million new customers, 90% abandon the guitar within the first wow. year. Wow. Right? Yeah. 90%. Right. And so and so their goal, like the, the, the CEO's goal is to double his retention rate from 10 percent to 20 percent, because if you can get if you can get those folks to stick with the guitar, they're worth their kind of the, the LTV on them is like 10 grand over the course of their life. Right. 
Um, so, you know, that's that's his metric. Now, that seems like the right metric, but maybe when they start doing discovery, right, maybe it's, you know, who knows? I'm not speaking out completely speculative now, but maybe that's not the right metric to right. chase. Maybe it's not to increase sort of acquisition or retention after the first year, but maybe it's to increase lifetime value from those who actually stick with the guitar from 10 right. to 15 right. 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 The discovery work helps us with that aspect of the conversation mm -hmm. as well, right? And I think it's perfectly legitimate, as long as you're being transparent about it, at the end of that 90 days to come back to a, a client or a stakeholder or whatever and say, look, we, you know, it's not that we haven't, haven't been able to build the right features, it's that we're chasing the wrong goals. Like right. this is not based on our discovery work. Customers don't want to do this, yeah, or they yeah. want to do something else, or the likelihood of us, you know, increasing, you know, retention rate from ten to twenty percent is super low. We can't like there's only there's only so many folks who are going to play the guitar for more than you right, know. right. That's fascinating. So, um, as much as I feel like we could talk about this for fifteen days, <laughs> could yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, pre I appreciate these insights. Um, I hope everyone listening um, really kind of found some nuggets in this talk. I know I certainly did. Um, lots of us have been doing OKRs. We um, really uh, embrace them and also um, understand that it's a, it's a constant, you know, continuous improvement. It is something that we want to get better at every quarter, every year to help drive the value that in our businesses that we love so much. So um, it was great to see you. It's sure. great to chat with you. Um, I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, have a great day, everyone. Thanks so much, Debbie. All right. Bye. Hey, everyone. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember to subscribe, give it five stars, and more importantly, share it with someone that you think will benefit from listening. And remember, as always, think about the one to two key takeaways that you can apply today to help you and your team achieve your goals. Until then, keep iterating.